invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, as we meditate on this portion of Scripture for our Good Friday service this evening. And in so doing, would you join me with a word of prayer? Merciful and everlasting God, who has not spared your only Son, but delivered him up for us all, that he might bear our sins upon the cross. Grant that our hearts may be so fixed with steadfast faith in him that we may not fear the power of any adversaries through Jesus Christ our Lord, one with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, Good Friday symbolizes for humanity that the cross is central to all of history, in fact, central to reality. The story of humanity is is cruciform, where the past is flowing ever toward the cross, and then the future flows from it, where heaven converges with earth in Jesus on the cross. Now, humanity has been cursed in sin by grasping after fruit which hung on a tree, now becomes humanity which is saved by fruit of a new creation hanging from a cursed tree. A world which is condemned to death and sin is granted life in the death of the sinless one. And a people receiving the wages of sin now purchase without money, wine and milk and the bread of life. So this Friday we come sorrowful, weeping as those who hope. As the scriptures remind us that sorrow, sorrows may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. For in this, the cruciform reality of Good Friday, God turns our mourning into dancing. The Father has sent His Son, and the Son has willingly given Himself, and the Spirit has poured forth in the divine sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we share in this divine community, stepping in the rhythms of this divine dance, of which Good Friday is a part. What's interesting is even at the cross... Jesus is ushering his people into this divine dance, this eternal dance. If we glance down to verse 26, we read this. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is your mother. This is your son. Jesus is welcoming this disciple into his family on earth, both of them into this eternal family. While this is happening, of course, disciples have already fled. The crowds continue to mock. Religious leaders have denied. Pilate utterly abdicates responsibility, and soldiers wager and divide garments. While this is going on, Jesus unites his mother Mary in familial bond to John, the beloved disciple, bound not by blood of lineage, but by blood of the Son, their master, their king. Now, since our fall in the garden, humanity has severed themselves. We've severed ourselves from one another, division after division, which plays out in the most intimate of relationships. Sin has set humanity's tune in the dance of eternal life towards disharmonies. Arrhythmias, reverberations of deceit and betrayal, neglect and harm. 
So sacrifice and ritual were given to reconcile a people to God, as well as to reconcile us to one another. Those sacrifices throughout history have been offered morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, because humanity is tuned perpetually towards sin. So those sacrifices were offered continually until the one true and final sacrifice was given on Good Friday. But here on this Good Friday, Jesus, with dying breath, is uniting this woman and this man as a mother and a child. He's uniting them in the community of his death. These two are united to one another for mutual care, for continual service to the body of the one who hangs before them. And we call this Friday good, in part because we see not only the cruciform pattern of reality, but we see the cruciform pattern of reconciliation here at the cross. And we live in a society that is greatly divided by this past year of pandemic disease and other afflictions, bleeding and long-standing racial strife, suffering in the midst of political turmoil and social angst. We are a society in need of moving towards one another, in need of healing. And the way of the cross displays what health looks like, being united under death, death of Christ on the cross, where we hide ourselves in the death of Christ. And in so doing, we are free to die to ourselves and then to live unto Him. As we die to ourselves, live unto Him, we are able to then extend grace, mercy, and truth to those around us. But doing that requires a painful confession. So verse 28 and following, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. I thirst is the confession from the living water. Now granted, as far as I thirst or our effects or knowledge of thirsting, we probably, most of us, have not known thirst like those served by Chuck and Nancy and the crew of Water for Haiti. But the metaphor of, of thirst is uh, it's familiar, tasted by all humanity on some level. Tabernacle in, in human flesh, Jesus has just now drank to the dregs the cup of God's wrath on the cross. And that drink has left him infinitely parched. He's left thirsting for fellowship with God. And his voice cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's alone on the cross, thirsting for fellowship with his friends and neighbor. And yet the rooster has already crowed, and all have fled, and all have abandoned, but a few women. Thirsting for relief, for deliverance, for vindication, he's met instead with silence and with darkness. I thirst, he said, I thirst. Now, the scripture that Jesus most likely has on his lips at this point when he says, I thirst, is Psalm 69. As you go and look at that psalm, it's a desperate psalm of lament. With, word, with two words, Jesus encapsulates inconsolable grief and, and unending sorrow of that psalm and that psalmist in it. And even though sour wine is given, Jesus' throat remains parched. 
Jesus' prayer remains unanswered, for his infinite uh, thirst cannot be assuaged. The weight of man's sin is an infinite desert wasteland where no water of grace flows naturally. But The beauty of gathering on Good Friday is that our corporate worship expresses, at least in some small measure, that the sorrow for sin that parched the throat of Jesus, who was the living water. We remain quiet and somber tonight, and it feels wholly unnatural. But tonight serves to practice us in sorrow, not seeking escape nor distraction. Our task tonight is to feel the weight of sin borne by Christ, knowing, of course, that the light of Easter will soon shine forth, glorious, into our darkness. But we're not there yet. We're practiced on Good Friday and dying and denying ourselves that we might grieve our sin and Jesus' sacrifice. But we grieve as those who hope. Because as Jesus says, his last words are, it is finished, verse 28 and 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, and then down to verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. There's finality at the cross. Throughout the gospel records, Jesus knows exactly where he's going. He sets his face like flint towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. He's fulfilling scripture, taking the very words of the Psalms, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. And Jesus has received here sour wine as he himself, the true vine, is being pressed and crushed, poured out. His blood poured out as wine, the wine of covenant blessing. That hyssop branch that that sponge was offered on, it, it was dipped in wine. It, it reminds us of the Passover feast where a hyssop branch was dipped into the blood of the Passover lamb and was put on the doorpost so that the angel of wrath would pass over. But here... It is the blood of the Passover lamb, which must be applied to the doorpost of our hearts. There's finality. He says, it is finished. Though as we follow Jesus, it's very common for us to live as though the work of Jesus on the cross, it, it may not be lasting. I mean, we failed again. We tend to grow cold and indifferent. I mean, Jesus has to be disappointed with me again, doesn't he? We've got to do something to get right with him again. As if Jesus had said on the cross, it's, it's nearly there, it's nearly finished. Boy, I sure hope it sticks. Nope. Jesus says, it is finished. And Good Friday rehearses us in confidence. Confidence that Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. Confidence that no, no sin that we commit can have more power than the cross. Confidence in the old spiritual song that says, Jesus' blood never failed me yet. Or the words of Scripture, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It is finished. And that is our profession. The work of Jesus Christ is finished. There is finality at the cross with ongoing implications. So Jesus, it says, draws a final breath and gives up his spirit. And as he gives up his spirit, the scene ends in darkness and in cold 
silence, but it also shakes the earth, causes the ground to tremble. The curtain of the temple is torn in two as the phrase, surely this is the Son of God, profoundly drips from the lips of a Roman centurion. Jesus' it is finished reverberates throughout the annals of history now and throughout all eternity. So breathing out His final breath on the, the cross, it, it's a prelude to the breathing out of His Spirit in resurrection life. That same Spirit breathed out upon His followers on Pentecost formed the body of Christ, which is then sent to the ends of the earth, commissioned to transform hearts and minds, all of creation. See, all of history was ever and always pointing toward that Friday with Jesus on the cross. History was waiting, hoping, longing for redemption. And all of history since that night flows from that event, working still to reconcile all things to God through Jesus Christ. Before tonight, as the darkness of sin and suffering threatens to crush our rebel-weary souls, we wait, and we wait. In solitude and in silence, we grieve the sin that held Jesus to the cross. Sorrow is tasted in our cold and indifferent hearts. We wait, heavy with grief. We wait the full vindication of our God, knowing that Easter is around the corner, knowing that Jesus is raised from the dead, that Jesus is ascended into glory, that Jesus reigns now and forevermore. But tonight we wait for our Savior, God's only Son, has given Himself that we might have life in Him. So in the first fruits of that resurrection life on this Good Friday, we wait, we grieve our sin, we rest in his forgiveness, and we wait his final vindication. So on Good Friday, we cry out together, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have willed that your Son should bear for us the pains of the cross, that you might remove from us the power of the adversary. Would you help us so to remember and to give thanks for our Lord's passion, his suffering, his death, that we may obtain the forgiveness of sins and redemption for everlasting life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.